Hello, my rebels. There's a new poll out by Angus Reid. I like Angus Reid's polls. I think he's pretty fair. I think he's pretty accurate. And sometimes he asks questions that you don't see in other public polls. I'll take you through it, and I'll prove to you that Justin Trudeau is the most despised man in Canadian politics. Um, I don't want to give it away, but you know, he's 20 points less popular than, than Donald Trump. Let me put that out there. Hey, have you seen our new website, rebelnews.com? It's a good website. It's a bit of freshened up. And you can become a premium subscriber by going to premium.rebelnews.com. And you can subscribe to this show for eight bucks a month, 80 bucks for a year, and you get the video version of the podcast. How much fun is that? And by the way, it helps us pay the bills. So go to premium.rebelnews.com and become a premium subscriber. Okay, here's the show about the poll. Tonight, a new poll from Angus Reid shows that Justin Trudeau is the most hated man in Canada. It's September 24th, and this is the Ezra LeVant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon Angela. consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say is government about why I publish is because it's my bloody right to do so. I like Angus Reid as a pollster. I think their company being based outside the Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa political echo chamber helps. I think they also like to ask questions that other pollsters shy away from, or at least shy away from making public, like their polls on immigration. I'm sure every pollster tracks public opinion on immigration. I'm sure the federal liberals poll on the subject every month, but they never make that information public. It just shows how far offside Trudeau's open borders mass migration scheme really is from public opinion. Anyways, there's a new Angus Reid poll out, and obviously it focuses on the Canadian federal election. I'd like to take you through it for a minute. Trudeau's blackface shame darkens liberal prospects, is their headline, yet CPC support still remains static. Let me uh, show you the, the top line number. It's obviously the one most people look at right away. You can see it's a 1,441 voter sample size, which is pretty good. The Conservatives lead 35% to 30%, which is probably around the margin of error, frankly. The NDP are way back, and of course the Greens are in fourth with 11%. I really think they're going to win a handful of seats in BC, maybe one or two in the Atlantic. I see they're now measuring the People's Party, which is good. It's at 3%, which suggests they're not going to punch through anywhere in first place right now, with the possible exception of Maxime Bernier's own riding. But that could all change very quickly after the upcoming debates now that Bernier will be in the debate. Here's a regional breakdown of those numbers, which I think is interesting. The Liberals are their strongest in Atlantic Canada. Do you see that on the far right-hand side of the page there? They're at 39%, if you can see that. Apparently, they've grown 6% in the last month, all of the expense of the Conservatives. The Green Party there, look at that, in the far right in green, they're at 17% in the Atlantic. Now, it's Fairly small sample size, as you can see, just 117 people. I find that a little hard to believe, but maybe it's true. Maybe that's where people who are leftists but don't quite think Jagmeet Singh has the horsepower to do it, maybe that's where they're parked their votes and discussed at Trudeau. Protest vote, maybe. 
In Ontario, put the chart back up for a second. In Ontario, it's a dead heat. Do you see that? Um, where it says region Ontario, big sample size. Both parties are at uh, 35%. But look at Alberta there. 59% would vote conservative. Just 17% would vote liberal. That's, you got to find six people who ask, would you vote Trudeau? Would you? Would you? Would you? Would you? You have to ask six people before you find one who votes liberal. And that sixth person out of six is probably just confused or having a lark, practical joke. I absolutely believe other polls, including by Angus Reid, that show Western separatism is high, given Trudeau's war on oil and gas pipelines rigging the rules. I like this chart here. It shows support by age and sex. The most ardent liberal supporters in the country are women over 55, not millennials. My theory is those women still think Pierre Trudeau is dreamy, and they're nostalgic for their own youth in the 60s and 70s, and are voting for Pierre's son and think maybe he's dreamy too. That's my theory. The lowest support for liberals are young men, millennials, Generation Z, just 22%, plunging down. Isn't that something? I guess those are people who think Trudeau's fake. He's a fake male feminist. They're just skeptical of his inauthenticity. And also young men worried about getting a real job, including blue-collar jobs, which are pretty much being banned by Trudeau. Now, the biggest boosters for both the NDP and Greens, not surprisingly, are young women. I'm not surprised. Girls who dabble with vegetarianism in college. Young women who don't yet have the burdens of work or paying taxes or worrying about kids, worrying about drugs and crime. As soon as a woman grows up and gets married and has kids, they'll get over their youthful dalliance with the NDP and Greens. Look at that, falling from 28% support to just 11% support for the NDP, falling from 17% for the Greens to just 10%. When women grow up, they move away from those exciting but crazy boyfriends. No wonder the parties on the left want voting to be granted to 16-year-olds. Quick glance at Maxime Bernier's People's Party. Do you see that there? It's right at the bottom. 9% of young men support Bernier. I'm not surprised. Those are the guys who are sick of political correctness on campus. They want a job. They hate taxes and regulation. They're worried about what open borders, mass migration might mean in terms of driving down wages, driving up the price of housing. I don't know. They just don't like the system. A couple more points. This graph here shows how likely people who voted one way in 2015 are to vote the same way again now. So 87% of Harper voters in 2015 say they're going to vote for Andrew Scheer again. The Green Party's vote is pretty solid, too, as you can see, 75% loyalty. The lowest loyalty is for New Democrats, and fair enough. They have a new leader who has done poorly. But look at that, the red line. Only 62% of Trudeau voters from 2015 say they can be counted on to vote for Trudeau in 2019. That's another way of saying they're disillusioned. They think he's a bit of an imposter. They've fallen out of love, just like Paul Wells when he wrote this wrote this McLean's article, basically a dear diary. I was fooled by this handsome man. But look at this. This is what Angus Reid calls a momentum score. What way is your opinion on any given leader moving? 45% of people say their opinion of Trudeau has fallen in the last month. Net 45, by the way. That's car crash territory. 
Here's another way of looking at that. 61% of Canadians disapprove of Justin Trudeau. Amazingly, it was actually a little bit worse back in February when the SNC-Lavalin corruption scandal broke, but it hasn't healed. That's the thing about falling out of love and feeling betrayed. It sticks. Canadians didn't really know who Justin Trudeau was. They were duped, like some handsome pickup artist at the bar with a well-rehearsed pickup line. He flattered voters and he looked so good. But now we find out what a loser he is in the light of the morning day. Racist, sexist, blackface, groper, liar, stammerer, international embarrassment, empty suit. I mean, Trudeau likes to mock Trump. I'm amazed Trump was so restrained in reply to this question. Did you see this? Mr. President, your reaction to Justin Trudeau, can he survive this controversy? Well, I was hoping I wouldn't uh, be asked that question. It had to be you that asked it. You, you had to ask me that question, right, Justin? I'm surprised. And I was more surprised when I saw the number of times. And, you know, I've always had a good relationship with Justin. Uh, I just don't know what to tell you. It's, I was surprised by it, actually. Huh. Oh, by the way, only 33% of Canadians approve of Trudeau. The daily presidential tracking poll by Rasmussen says Trump is at 53% approval, 20 points higher than Trudeau. I don't know what will happen a month from now. The election is 27 days away. But here's what I think. I don't think this is a total disaster to the liberal campaign, the blackface thing, mainly because the liberals and Trudeau personally are not following norms and customs of honor and integrity. If this were a low-level liberal candidate or a candidate from any other party, he, he would be fired in, immediately in disgrace. And if he didn't have the good sense to leave, he'd be hounded out by the media. Because neither Trudeau nor his palace guard nor his bought and paid for media will apply the same standards to him, though. He knows he can just brazen it out, or at least try. This is the coarsening of our public conversation. The same way Trudeau just brazening out his SNC-Lavalin corruption, firing the attorney general to protect a criminal friend of his, that has changed our country a bit, you know. Because that's a new thing. That's sent a new tone for everyone. Everyone in the public service, every prosecutor in the country, every criminal, every judge. We all now have a bit of a different identity as Canadians. Everyone does. We're all citizens in a country that abides corruption. It's who we are. And it's like lying. You know, the number one reason not to lie is that it, if you lie, it, it turns you into a liar. It, it degrades you. It, it changes you. That is who you become. You become a liar. That's the worst punishment for lying. And so it is the number one reason not to have corrupt leaders. It's not just to avoid letting a criminal company off the hook. That, yes, that too. But it's that you throw away an honor and a dignity and a national identity that took centuries to make. Trudeau's breaking us all a little bit because he won't do the honorable thing and no one will press him to do the honorable thing. What a shame. So I don't know if this whole blackface scandal, the real scandal being his lies, his lifetime of unaccountability and special privilege, I don't know if this is going to stop him from winning on October 21st, but it has knocked him off his campaign plan for one week out of a five-week campaign. It has destroyed a lot of what's left in the Trudeau brand. You know what a brand is. It's, it's his claims, who he claims to be as a person, his, his public identity. It's blunted any attacks that he was going to make on conservatives for being racist, which is really all they had planned. And as this new Angus Street poll shows, if you were a young man or a woman 
hopeful, leftist, liberal, woke, progressive, would you really get up and go out and knock on doors and put up lawn signs and get your friends to come out to the polls? Would you really feel motivated working for this creep now? <laughs> well, we'll find out in 27 days. By the way, if you haven't gone yet, go to Campaign 2019. That's our website where we explain our battle plan. Stay with us. Up next, our friend Prem Singh. Prime Minister Modi and I have come to Houston to celebrate everything that unites America and India, our shared dreams and bright futures. I've also come to express my profound gratitude to the nearly four million amazing Indian Americans all across our country. You enrich our culture, you uphold our values, you uplift our communities, and you are truly proud to be American and we are proud to have you as Americans. The United States and India will make our nation stronger, our people wealthier, our dreamers bigger, and our future brighter than ever before, and it won't even be close. I want to especially thank a great man and a great leader, the leader of India, Prime Minister Modi, my friend. Thank you. That's how you do relations with India, unlike Justin Trudeau, who thought it was just a costume tour. Trudeau, who brought along a convicted terrorist who was convicted of attempting to assassinate an Indian cabinet minister and then blamed the whole shamazal on the Indians. That right there is perhaps the warmest moment between an American president and a prime minister of India probably since Indian independence some decades ago. And joining us now to talk about this fascinating diplomatic and economic and security union and to go through a couple of the clips from the respective leader's speech is our friend Prem Singh, who joins us now via Skype from Calgary. Prem, great to see you again. Good to see you too, Ezra. I was very proud. I'm not American. Uh, I, our own country, I think, has, in the person of Justin Trudeau, disgraced himself in his dealings with India and then blamed it all on India. But I felt a pride. I felt pride in the U.S.-India relationship, and I'm not even American. I just thought that was very moving. Oh, it, it definitely was. I mean, both of both uh, Prime Minister Modi and, and President Trump, um, they played very well. They had the sa similar message about it being for the people, the uh, exceptionalism felt by both Indians and Americans, you know, definitely was there. And, you know, their personal camaraderie and uh, personal chemistry, it's about as good as it can get. You know, you've seen their friendship evolve through the past few years. But seriously, I mean, you saw it was moving, as you said, them holding hands and and how Modi introduced President Trump as welcoming him to his family and continually calling him a friend of India's. And today, President Trump called Modi the father of India, who brought India together at a time when it was torn. Huh. You know what? I, one of the reasons I'm touched by the genuine affection is because it is so genuine. And Trump yes. and Modi obviously have very, very different personalities, different lifestyles. 
But there are some similarities. I see they have similar enemies too. I saw some leftist globalists yesterday tweeting uh, a picture of Trump and Modi saying, two nationalists. Yeah, what's wrong with that? Two nationalists who love their own countries but can get along very well on a bilateral basis. I think that's what we should all be aiming for. I, the fact that they have the same enemies tells me they're both on the right track. Exactly. And if you note, um, early on in Trump's presidency, he cut off all the funding that the Obamas and Clintons were giving to Pakistan. And Modi made a key point of talking about how that was, you know, terrorism was something that they were both fighting against and radical Islam, both Modi and President Trump spoke about that. They spoke about, you know, military and space cooperation. They spoke about prosperity for their countries. Um, and they spoke about trade. They inked a $7.5 billion natural gas LNG trade with a private U.S. company, Tellurian and Petronet. Um, today, they also, uh, the president announced that the India-U.S. Uh, trade deal would be announced soon and that there would be lower tariffs on U.S. produce and certain exemptions or preferential treatment that was given before would be brought back into place. But you're right, They're, they have a mutual desire to eradicate terrorism and both of them know that a lot of that was being funded and seeded in Pakistan. Mm -hmm. And so now you have these globalists and all the people that called Trump a racist, you know, what are they saying now? Yeah. If you look back at the statistics in 2016 when Trump was elected, 23% of Indian Americans actually voted for President Trump. And I can tell you this much, after Sunday, and after Prime Minister Modi giving Trump essentially an endorsement, you will have a lot more than 23% of those 4 million Indian Americans voting for President Trump. Yeah, I tell you that Houston Stadium was huge. I, I just didn't know there was that many politically active, excited Indian Americans in the, United, in the United States. I just, I mean, how would I know? But boy, they were revved up. I want to show a couple of clips from the speeches. And again, they have very different styles, these two men personally. I'd like to start with something you alluded to, which is terrorism. And you're right, uh, Pakistan, but also China is a long-term rival uh, to India. Yes. And it's, it's just like Trump thinking the grand picture to strengthen ties with India, the largest democracy, what will soon be the largest economy, a, a, a military counterweight to China. I think that might have been on Trump's mind too. Let me play a clip. This is Trump referring very candidly to the security issues. And if I'm not mistaken, he gets a standing ovation from the crowd here. Here, take a look. Today, we honor all of the brave American and Indian military service members who work together to safeguard our freedom. We stand proudly in defense of liberty, and we are committed to protecting innocent civilians from the threat of radical Islamic terrorism.
another key point that President Trump made was that he said that Prime Minister Modi and India takes their borders seriously. They take border security seriously. And obviously, we all know that so does President Trump. Yeah. And as you mentioned, both, you know, this is a message to China as well on that front. Yeah, and they Pakistan did talk too, about for military sure. cooperation and cooperation in space in addition to trade. Yeah. What can I say? I'm jealous when you mentioned the huge LNG deal. That could have been us. That could have it been. It could have been, Canada. but as you know, Ezra, the Indians did invest a billion dollars into the Petronas, or um, yeah, the Petronas LNG project, Pacific Northwest, which got shelved. Right. You know, and they're not happy about that. Yeah. Well, I tell you, the Americans uh, are now the world's largest uh, producers of energy, and they're in net. Exporters. They used to build. And India is one of their largest buyers right now of crude oil and natural gas. And to go even further on the military cooperation, what I thought was really, really touching and outstanding was you had the U.S. Army Band playing the Indian national anthem. You know, I think we got a clip of that. As you said, the whole the whole event was so moving and patriotic. it, 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 again, culminated Trump's like Indo-Pacific strategy that he started a few years back. I mean, today at his speech, he did say it's it's not this isn't going to be about globalists. It's about patriots. Yeah. And he, I, I mentioned it before. He called Modi the father of India. Yeah. This relationship and it was a very shrewd, shrewd um action on Modi's part to essentially endorse Trump for 2020. Yeah, very, very. And and what do you say now? You have Canadian politicians that all they do are across the board, across the political spectrum, they antagonize the U.S. and they antagonize the president. You know, geopolitically, we will always be their biggest trading partner. And geographically, you know, they stretch along our entire border. Yeah. Uh, You know what? I noticed that Donald Trump was wearing the same business suit he wears every day. He didn't feel compelled to play dress up, even though Narendra Modi himself wears a more traditional uh, Indian garb. Uh, He's he's a very spiritual man. He's a bit of a philosopher in a way. Trump didn't pander. Trump was Trump. Modi was Modi. And they talked substance. And what a difference from our own dancing fool who thinks that if he just does a little show and tell show, thank God not in blackface, uh, that'll win the other guy over. Let me play a clip from Modi. Now, Modi speaks in a different cadence and at a different pace than Trump, obviously. I'd like to play a couple minutes. And this, I tell you, I just know right now, this will be cut into a dozen little campaign ads for Trump in 2020, targeting Indian Canadian Americans and saying, look guys, Um, We're the party that loves India, freedom, economy, security. Here's a clip of Modi returning the praise to Trump. Take a look. This morning, we have a very special person with us. He needs no introduction. 
His name is familiar to every person on the planet. His name comes up in almost every conversation in the world on global politics. His every word is followed by tens of millions. He was a household name and very popular even before he went on to occupy the highest office in this great country. From CEO to Commander-in-Chief, From boardrooms to the Oval Office, from studios to global stage, from politics to the economy and to security, he has left a deep and lasting impact It is my honor and privilege to welcome here in this magnificent stadium and magnificent gathering. I tell you, Prem, uh, I cannot think of a single world leader, not even the dictator of Cuba, who would speak so flattering about Justin Trudeau. I can't name one. I can't name one country that would even give Trudeau the time of day these days, frankly. That was genuine affection, and Trump, was he ever beaming? I mean, I think he that was. Narendra Modi was completely authentic. I think he's an extremely authentic man. I think he believed every word he said, and what he said was manifestly true in many cases. But he also knows that Trump loves to hear that, and it showed. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I mean, you had the world's two largest democracies there, and you know, flattering and commending each other, the leaders. It, it was, I mean, I watched the entire thing. Um, I do know some of our Canadian politicians were present, but none of them are courageous enough to admit that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's uh, quite sad, frankly, that we don't have the courage to come out and support other world leaders that are doing good for their country. Yeah. You know, we have a lot of Indian or Indo-Canadians. When we say Indians, sometimes people think First Nations. There's a lot of Indo-Canadians. Uh, I think proportionately, there are more yes. 
former or people of Indian ancestry in Canada than in the States. There are. Uh, there I, are. I think you could fill a stadium in Vancouver or the uh, or I think you could fill a stadium in Toronto uh, with well, 50,000. They have. They have uh, Prime Minister Modi has done other events like this in Toronto and New York and uh, I forget the other place. But uh, this one was definitely special in that, well, the president was there yeah. and he spoke. Yeah. And, you know, there were other Democratic uh, officials that were present as well. But this one definitely exhibited the Indian and American exceptionalism that their populace feels and the mutual respect that both leaders have for one another and for their countries. Yeah. You know, they know that this is an important relationship and their relationship, as you said, it is extremely genuine. Yeah. You know, and something that our Canadian leaders across the board need to realize that they, they have to stop pandering and they need to recognize and look at who they're allowing in their fold. They're not realizing that there's radicals among, you know, that have infiltrated the parties. They're not dealing with that. We seem to think that we can have, you know, ethnics run as elected officials, but you, you look at you look at what Trump is doing. People call him a racist, but if you actually look, the amount of Indian Americans that he has at the highest bureaucratic levels mm -hmm. is pretty outstanding. Mm -hmm. And you won't hear that in the U.S. media, but you'll find it in the Indian media. Yeah. And, and you know, it, I recognized this back in 2016 when he was first elected. India was very happy because they knew for them, for business and for trade, it, this was going to be a good thing. This was going to be a good thing security-wise as well, because right away, Pakistan, as I mentioned, was cut off at the knees. Mm -hmm. Obama was giving them hundreds of millions of dollars, mm -hmm. and we know that went to breed terrorism. Yeah. Well, I tell you, it's a refreshing change to see a Canadian or American leader stands so solidly with a democracy that's fighting the same fights. Trump meant yes. every word that he said about liberty, democracy, security. He didn't have he to did. swallow his own values as Trudeau has done around the world. And at the end of the day, what has Trudeau even gotten for it? Nothing. Uh, I tell you, Prem, I'm, I, I really have no ties to India other than philosophical and ideological admiration for the world's largest democracy, part of the uh, Commonwealth, uh, and, and of course, any Indo-Canadian friends I have. But I must say, I found that a very moving meeting, and I can only hope that that does truly come to pass, that it marks a new era between those two countries. What a shame that we are not first and foremost in America's heart, that it wasn't our prime minister on stage there. Maybe one day again it will be, but in the meantime, it's beautiful to watch this India-America relationship. Last word to you, Prem. Well, I think as Canadians, we have a lot to learn. We shouldn't be afraid to uh, admit that we are at a function where the president is at. We shouldn't, you know, I, how how are these people leaders? What what I found very moving from both of them was that they said this was about the people. And Prime Minister Modi did say America is a place where many Indians have realized the American dream mm -hmm. and that he wants and he acknowledged how Trump has brought prosperity to their economy. And he said he wants to do the same in India. Mm. And he's you know, he made a request 
to the 50,000 uh, people that were there in Houston, he said, I want you to bring five or 10 people from America to visit India every year. Hmm. That was his request to them. Hmm. Isn't you know, that interesting? And like you said, it was genuine. Yeah. And it would be very nice to see a Canadian politician, a Canadian leader that has genuine relationships with people, other world leaders around the world. Yeah. Huh. Well, Prem, just great to catch up with you on this. Thanks very much. And uh, Thanks. I appreciate your time. Uh, keep up the fight out there in Alberta. One day we will sell Canadian oil and gas to India and Japan and oh, South will. Korea and Taiwan. But uh, I'm afraid that'll have to 100%. wait. hundred percent. Yeah. All right. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. There you have Bye. it. Prem Singh, a good friend of ours, a friend of freedom and uh, a friend of oil and gas. And uh, we are both envious of the deal that the United States has struck with India. Stay with us, more ahead on The Rebel. Hello, my friends, on my monologue yesterday about the liberals trying to move past the blackface scandal. Dan writes, I sure enjoyed that little slice of old world humor from Norman Lear from way back when you were still allowed to be funny. Yeah. You know, there's so many comedy shows from just 20 or 30 years ago. You don't have to go back to the 70s. That would be unthinkable now. What a shame. What a shame. You used to be able to laugh. And if, if you disagreed, you used to be able to disagree without destroying your opponent. Someone with a nickname Mutaween writes, the liberals have been empowered for four years. So why didn't they make any effort to reduce the burden we all have in terms of cell phone bill? Yeah. Well, you know, cell phone companies, when you think about it, um, there's an overlap with cable TV companies. Um, that happened to us when the Sun News Network was around. We were owned by Quebecor, which is um, a huge Quebec-based cell phone and cable and internet company. Same way Bell is, same way Rogers is, they all have TV channels. And my personal observation from how Sun News Network lived as, as part of Quebec or and how it dealt with Rogers was these TV stations are the smallest part of these mega companies. And if you're the CEO of Bell, if you're the CEO of Shaw or a company like that, you'll give Justin Trudeau what he wants on the political side if you're allowed to make your real money on the cell phone side, the cable side. So I think it's been a trade-off. The fact that all our TV and radio are so extremely pro-Trudeau, I think that's the nature of journalists to begin with. But don't think that at the tip-top of these corporate conglomerates, the deal isn't made, you let me continue on with the highest cell phone fees in the free world, and I'll make sure that CTV or Global or the CBC, well, they're owned by the state broadcaster, but the private ones, that they're very pro-Trudeau. You tell me I'm wrong. On my interview with Andrew Lawton, Liz writes, Justin has gone full-on fascist. Was it the OPP or the Niagara Regional Police that Justin sicked on Andrew Lawton? Justin is lashing out at any conservative outlet he can to retaliate for the blackface pictures coming out. Yeah, ironically, it uh, appears to have been Time magazine that broke the blackface photo story. And um, I guess Global rolled out the video, but they haven't been punished. And of course, the Daily Telegraph in the UK. I think it's just that they know Andrew Lawton will ask prickly questions, and Trudeau doesn't really want prickly questions. And 
he knows that the rest of the media won't mind. Well, that's our show for today. On behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. Keep fighting for freedom.